From the Financial Times in London, I'm Madison Derbyshire, and this is FT News. Millennial consumers like me are those who fall in the 22 to 37 years old range, according to Pew Research, are more health conscious than our parents were. We drink less alcohol and want to know both what is in the products that we buy and where they come from. We're even more eco-conscious when it comes to packaging. The FT's Consumer Industries Editor, Shaharasad Dineshku, has been looking at the impact of these factors on the consumer packaged goods industry and joins me today to discuss. Shaharazad, it seems that millennials are more entrepreneurial when it comes to building these challenger companies that are taking on established food industry brands. Why do you think that is? What I think is happening is that a lot of entrepreneurs are seeing a gap in the market for their ideas and for their companies, a gap that probably has been there for a very long time, but thanks to digital technology can now be filled. So what you're finding is that you don't need so much money in order to build a brand or in order to advertise it. You can do it on social media. You can do it digitally. Nor do you need a lot of money in terms of trying to get your brand into supermarket shelves. You can just bypass the supermarket if you want and go direct to consumers. And we've seen lots of companies that have grown up rapidly using that model. Okay. Well, it seems that the power of these small brands to disrupt the big food companies is relatively recent. When did the big companies start to notice? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, it's been growing probably over a longer period than we think. It's probably been about a decade now. But what happens is that, you know, one or two companies start growing, three or four, five, six. The big brands think, well, these are just small companies. They're no threat to us. And then suddenly the snowball starts really rolling. And uh, I guess it's probably in the last three or four years that uh, we've seen the big companies sit up and take notice. And also one reason why they've done that is that they've seen their own revenue growth start to slow. And they've realized that one reason for that, one reason is because of the growth of these smaller companies taking market share from them. And how are they fighting back? Well, they're doing a lot of things. One thing they're doing is actually buying some of these small companies. So we've seen a real pickup in what for the big companies is called bolt-on M&A, small M&A for them. They're also trying to simplify and streamline their own operations so that they can react more quickly with their own products, the type of products that consumers would like. And they're setting up venture capital arms to try and spot new trends and they're cutting costs massively in order to reinvest in their brands. Is it working? We haven't seen it working yet, but again, because they've only really noticed and started fighting back relatively recently, I think it will work to some extent. We need to wait a little while before we see how that picks up. And it seems like supermarkets are now devoting more space to smaller brands. And I was wondering if you had a sense of how much space and if you think that trend will continue, if we'll continue to have more smaller scale options. Yeah, I mean, what supermarkets have noticed is that these brands really resonate with customers and are bought by them. It's not only the smaller brands themselves, it's also things like their own brands in terms of, say, salads and fruits and stuff like that, which is what the industry calls private label, but which is a supermarket's own brand, because people are buying more fresh food, those are also growing. So the proportion of the shelf space given to smaller companies has certainly grown a lot. I don't have an actual number for you, but it has grown significantly. 
And something that I'm really curious about is you talked about brands really resonating with consumers. And I was wondering what you think will happen with brands that are perceived as being smaller craft brands like Camden Town Brewery or Seventh Generation, which are actually owned by major conglomerates like Anheuser-Busch and Unilever. And how do they maintain that authenticity factor for millennial consumers, even though they're owned by major corporations? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And whenever one of these brands is bought up by one of the big companies, you always see on Twitter and social media a big outpouring of grief, really, by their supporters because they liked them when they were an independent brand. I have to say that probably the majority of consumers don't actually notice who owns it. So unless they've actually spotted that news item or spot the logo of the big brand now owning the smaller brand, a lot of them, so long as the taste isn't compromised, will go with it. And because the big brands have marketing clout, they can distribute further and so they will pick up new customers. And there's been discussion about the importance of authenticity or a compelling narrative in order to drive millennial spending. And I was wondering how you perceive the importance of a brand's story to be in the current market. Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether baby boomer parents never read stories to their kids at night, but certainly we do see that millennials really, really like stories. So we're seeing that if an entrepreneur has a really interesting past, he or she will definitely talk about it. There was a startup ketchup company that was Mm. invented in a dorm room and it didn't have... Sir Kensington. Yeah, yeah. Sir Kensington. And it didn't have a brand story. So they made one up and it worked. (laughs) And I think that's a really interesting kind of point to make about how much we want to spend dollars where we think there's intrinsic value in supporting an interesting narrative. Yeah, exactly. Authenticity for a lot of consumers also means the ingredients that are put into the food or the drink. They want those to be as natural and as healthy as possible. And authenticity can also, for a lot of millennials, mean something that has some kind of social purpose or doesn't waste natural resources or is environmentally friendly. That's all part of authenticity as well. And there has been research to show that products that are able to show that they are more environmentally friendly do actually do better than others. And what do you see as the role of social media in communicating these narratives to consumers? Well, social media has been really very important, not only in helping the companies to get off the ground and market themselves, but also no company, big or small, can ignore what social media says about them. And so they're very, very important from that point of view. And social media is also important when you come to vloggers and bloggers and people that are endorsing companies. That's another huge area that's grown and that, again, is very important for brands big or small. So in this market, who do you think the biggest losers will be? The companies that we've seen suffering the most have tended to be some of the big US food companies, partly because a lot of them don't sell much to emerging markets, so they don't have that growth. They're very exposed just to the US. But also their brands are perceived, you know, cereal companies as tired and full of unhealthy ingredients. And although A lot of them are trying to turn that around. It's a question, again, of authenticity. If they're not seen to be doing it authentically, then customers would rather buy a smaller brand that does tick all those boxes. So is it the role of small brands to test out trends and then disappear? Or do you think any of these will prove lasting? 
Well, I'm sure a lot of small brands will grow and stay independent and continue to grow. I wouldn't say it's their role to disappear. Interestingly enough, some founders of these small companies have actually said that they set up and wanted to sell out to a big company in order you know, to become wealthy and possibly go on and set up another brand. So some of them have done that specifically, but others really want to hold on to what they have and continue to grow. I mean, Brewdog in beer would be an example of that. They've said they'll never sell out. Let's see. Thanks so much, Saharazad. And thank you all for listening. We'd like to ask you a small favor. We're rethinking our podcast strategy at the Financial Times, and we're asking listeners to rate our podcasts and to tell us what you like and don't like about our shows. To contribute to our survey, follow the link in our show notes or go to ft.com slash podcast feedback and enter our prize draw. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.